Welcome, friends, to the fourth episode of the second season of Heart to Heart with Michael, a program for the bereaved community. Our purpose is to empower our community with resources, support, and advocacy information. This season's theme is a celebration of life, and we're lucky to have world-famous Philip Proctor on the program with us once more. Today's show is Dear Friends, Remembering Phil. We'll be talking with Philip about his relationship with the Firesign Theater member, Phil Austin, some of Philip's favorite memories of Phil. And finally, we'll learn what Philip thinks Phil's legacy is to us and how he celebrates Phil today. Guest co-hosting today is our friend Philip Proctor, and he's going to read his bio. Yes, which, which uh, this should be enlightening. Uh, I am a celebrated actor, singer, writer, and producer, and a founding member of the legendary three-time Grammy-nominated Firesign Theater Comedy Quartet. Why haven't we been given a lifetime award yet? Oh, well, we're still, I'm still alive, so maybe it'll happen. Whose archives were just purchased by the Library of Congress. Isn't that amazing? For half a million dollars. Wow. He's played on and off Broadway, toured the U.S., Russia, and Canada, and is a longtime member of the celebrated Antaeus Classical Ensemble in Glendale. He's won Theater World, L.A. Weekly, and Drama Critics Awards, and shares a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for his role as Howard in the Emmy-winning Rugrats. That's right, I'm the father of Phil and Lil. Voice credits include Academy Award-winning films for Pixar and Disney, including the anime Spirited Away, wonderful movie, I'm also the drunken French monkey. I am a social drinker in Dr. Doolittle and Dr. Vidic in Assassin's Creed. Aspergo wants you. He recently appeared, I did, in the world premiere of For Piano and Harpo at the Gary Marshall Theater, written by and starring Homer Simpson, also known as Dan Castellanata. And I've just released three books, Power, Americathon, the skits behind the screenplay, and my autobiography co-authored by Brad Schreiber called Where's My Fortune Cookie? Wow, what a life. <clears throat> Would you like to welcome yourself or can I take over now? <laughs> you can take over. And I, <laughs> thank, thank me and I'm welcome. Well, thank you for being with us and welcome. Uh, I am so happy to have you here again on the program. So let's start by talking about how you met Phil. When... Uh, I reconnected with Peter Bergman, who had been my classmate at Yale, and who had written lyrics for two musicals that I, I starred in, written by Austin Pendleton. Booth is back in town, about the, the Booth family, uh, Junius Brutus Booth and Edwin Booth and John Wilkes, and uh, Tom Jones, in which I played the, the lead role, sang the lead role. That was fun. I reconnected with Peter out in Los Angeles and found out that he was the Wizard of Oz on a late-night counterculture call-in show, which was really the first of its kind, uh, called Radio Free Oz. And he was the Wizard of Oz. And uh, when I went to be on the show with him for the first time, I met two other guys, David Osman, uh, who was the head of the drama department there at KPFK, Lister-supported Pacifica Station Radio, and uh, Phil Austin, who was producing the show for Peter. And uh, we started improvising almost immediately together and found that we were, were funny together and that we had all kinds of things in common. We loved surrealistic comedy. We were all fans of the goon shows. We were all radio babies. We'd grown up listening to radio. Phil, who was actually the youngest member of the Firesign Theater, 
Uh, and by the way, we were all fire signs. That was, that was the amazing thing. Uh, I'm a Leo. Peter is a Sagittarian. Uh, Dave Osman's a Sagittarian. And Austin, uh, much to our dismay, is an, uh, an Aries. And actually, if you look at the cover of Don't Crush That Dwarf, Hand Me the Pliers, which is one of our most uh, famous albums, and the one that was inducted into the Library of Congress that led to the acquisition of all of our archives uh, in Washington, ACDC, uh, you'll see that there is a caricature of us in our astrological uh, embodiments. Uh, and that was created by Bob Grossman, who was Peter Bergman's roommate at Yale, and who basically created the airbrush art revolution uh, and, and did, you know, has done covers for Time magazine, all kinds of things. Anyway, uh, in that you'll see that David and Peter, the Sagittarians, uh, on the back of their haunches, of their horses' haunches, is me as a Leo and Austin as an Aries. And in many ways, that was the relationship that we had. <laughs> You know, both both Peter and David were kind of the the driving forces of our writing um, collaboration together. Uh, David actually sat at a typewriter and typed the material in, in our writing sessions. Bergman was always the comic driving force uh, behind most of the uh, ideas that we were trying to create. And Austin and I were kind of the... Uh, that we we were the backup men. We came up with a lot of comic ideas. We created a lot of comic characters. I think uh, uh, Phil Austin's most famous creation was Nick Danger, Third Eye. Uh -huh. And interestingly enough, that album, which was in our second album, was How Can You Be in Two Places at Once When You're Not Anywhere at All? And the first part of the album was really all that we had written uh, and we were going to do Nick Danger, Third Eye, America's Only Detective, as a radio serial, because we were on a radio station. I think we were on KPPC at the time. But uh, anyway, we wrote it. We wrote the first uh, half-hour pilot for the... Yeah, I remember uh, that. I've heard of that. I heard, I've heard that it was supposed to be a radio program. Yeah, yeah. it was going to be a radio program. Yeah. But when we got to the station that afternoon, Sunday afternoon, to do the show, we found that they changed the locks on the door <laughs> they changed management overnight and they were now doing like i don't know hasidic uh, acid rock and roll country music or something like that we had to uh we had to, we said well what are we what are we what, are we, what shall we do with this wonderful material and we said well look there's two sides to a record so why don't we just put it on the other side and we did and that was really our breakthrough album because everybody could relate to the uh, cinema noir detective stories from from uh, radio and movies, okay? And Phil Austin, of course, was the voice of Nick Danger, and he just captured that character just perfectly. Although as Rocky Rococo, I was ins ins insanely jealous of his success at the time. A stupid fool. But anyway, uh, that was that was his his signature, and. Uh, uh, and, and well, of course, I'm, I'm going quite afield from the first time that I met him. Uh, That's fine. But really, from the very first time that I met Phil and that we started playing together, uh, I realized that he was uh, an antic actor and that he could uh, create characters out of whole cloth right there, around, you know, in front of the microphone. And uh, I had tremendous admiration for him and loved working with him.
Can you tell me about your relationship with him as a, as a, as a friend, as a person outside maybe the fire sign or maybe even part oh, yeah. of that? Uh, yeah. Phil was a, a very complicated character. He was, mm. he was meticulous. He was kind of, he, he took over the producing duties uh, mm. of our records. He would keep meticulous, uh, track records, you know, what was on every track of the album that we were creating. And, uh, and he was also aware of the budget and, you know, uh, how monies were being spent and how many hours we spent in the studio and all of that. But the reason why we became close was because we were both actors. David was more of a poet and, and Bergman was more of a performer. But Phil and I were both trained professional actors and we actually had an opportunity to work together on the stage in Los Angeles at the Mark Taper Forum in a play called Musica written by John Guare whom I had also gone to Yale with he uh-huh. was in the drama school and I got my BA in drama in my senior year and got to know John Guare and I ended up being offered the role the lead role of Jack Argue uh, uh, which is John Guare's name mixed up, uh, in this amazing play called Musica, which I won a, a Theater World Award for, some kind of award for, LA Weekly Award, that's what it was. And, um, uh, and Austin and I had a scene at the end of the play together. It was actually a scene in which I commit suicide. We're, oh. both, getting into, we're both getting into clown makeup it's to, a comedy. to go out to fight the war in Vietnam. And oh. anyway... We worked together on the stage professionally. Uh, uh, his mother actually had taught drama at, in Fresno, where Phil comes from. And uh, so we had mutual respect for one another as, as actors. Over the years, Phil, because of his fiery Aries temperament, was not always the easiest person to work with. He was very stubborn, and he, would, he really wanted to get his way many times, so we would reach like impasses uh, in our writing. But the amazing thing that we learned from that was that when we take our material into the studio to record it, we would improvise, obviously, once we were bringing it to life, and sometimes we'd just throw the script away and go back to our radio work together mm. and, and create something new uh, out of the material right there in front of the microphones. You see, we were very lucky because we had a uh, spoken arts contract, which a fellow named John McClure had, had ensured that we have. Uh, after our first album came out, they'd, the suits at Columbia Records didn't know what to do with us, and they were really thinking of dropping us from... from oh, yeah. uh, you know, from the, the, the contract. And John McClure, who was the head of the spoken arts division, said, no, no, these guys are geniuses. They're going to be very famous. We've got to keep them on. I'm going to sign them to a spoken arts contract. That meant that we had unlimited free studio time. Whoa. Okay? All right. We traded a reduced royalty for that. But, you know, we had the opportunity to, we could write some of our material, go in, lay it down, see what it sounded like, and go back and write some more until we were ready to go into the studio again. And we could spend as much time in the studio as we needed to, you know, to create multi-layered uh, channels and tracks and things sure. and mix it and put in sound effects and music and what have you. So that was one of the reasons that we, we had such a great opportunity to, to do our work. And Austin was also a very gifted musician, uh, which he demonstrated in his mm-hmm. album 
uh, roller maidens from outer space Yeah, because yeah. he could write music and he could play the guitar and he could sing. Mm. And I also had that in common with him. So we did a lot of singing together on the albums and a lot of wrote a lot of music together on the albums. Uh, like uh, back from the shadows again, <laughs> out where an Indian's your friend. <laughs> you want to sing along? <laughs> where the vegetables are green and you can pee the into stream. the stream. That's important. Sing along. <laughs> yes, we're back. It is important. Uh, the shadows. Back from the shadows again. <laughs> anyway, so we had that in common. Now, it took many years for Phil and I to become really close uh, because he was a very much an independent genius. He was very kind of hermetic in his life. Uh, he was married to his second wife, Una, for 44 years. And during that time, they were only apart for four nights. Wow. Okay? For four nights. And he was a dog person. He always had dogs, and he and his wife, uh, Una, up in their, their cottages on Fox Island, had like six dogs, okay? And he would travel by car whenever we toured because he didn't like to fly with his dogs and his wife. <laughs> and in the last few years, I'd say the last decade, when uh, uh, since Dave Osmond lived in Whidbey Island up in Washington State, we would go up and we would write together up there. And we'd often write at Phil Austin's place. Mm -hmm. And my wife, Melinda Peterson, and I became very close to Phil and his wife, Una, and mm -hmm. would go up there regularly just to hang out with them. They were so much fun. We were known as the uh, gin bags, uh, Fizz and Ginny, and they were known <laughs> as the McCocktails. Uh, Edna St. Vincent McCocktail and Edward Everett McCocktail. And... And Phil and Una and Melinda and I really became extremely close personal friends. And, uh, and, and even when Firesign wasn't, you know, doing anything, we'd just go up and, and hang out with them just for the sheer joy of it. Shoplifters, you're getting away with value. Listen to what Mrs. G86T91 of Honor Farm, Missouri says about value at shoplifters. I walked away with over $130 worth of hams in my pants, and it only cost me 50 bucks in 60 days. Shoplifters, you're getting away with more food. This week's special squirrel squares from Road Ready Flat Snacks. Velcro macaroni sticks to the outside of your ribs and stupid Belgium waffle hats. Shoplifters, we give you a bigger head start. Remember, there's no long lines at our checkout counter because there are no checkout counters. We just follow you to your car and read you your rights. Shoplifters, a market that puts you away. Visit our seven convenience stores in King's Nose. Hello, dear friends. This is Phil Proctor, putting on a particularly scrumptious English accent to entice you to listen to the Chromium Switch radio podgazine by going to chromiumswitch.org now. Be there or beware. <laughs> you are listening to Heart to Heart with Michael. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our program, please send an email to Michael Lieben at michael at hearttoheartwithmichael.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Michael. If there's one memory of Phil that you will always replay in your head, 
What would it be? Dogs. He was always surrounded by dogs. He, he, when we first met him, uh, he, he was uh, living in Laurel Canyon, and he had one dog. It was a beautiful black Labrador named Porpentine, and, uh, and, and the dog would bring him rocks to, to play fetch with. And I, I remember his infatuation with this, this amazing, crazy animal. And, uh, and then later, when he uh, moved to another house in Nichols Canyon, uh, he, which, which had a great swimming pool, because Austin had uh, gone to college on a swimming scholarship, by really? the way. Yeah, he was a very talented swimmer. And he had, at that time, I think maybe four dogs, okay? It was this one time he he had a friend who would take care of the dogs when we were on the road, uh, and this is before he, he started traveling with his dogs in his camper all the time, and and we went away and we did a tour of the it was a California tour, uh, so it was all drivable. And when he came back, he discovered that his friend had fallen off the wagon, and had and and had stopped taking care of the dogs and they had pooped all over the carpets in their house. They had to tear up all the carpeting and replace it. And I think after that, he started traveling with his dogs wherever he went. Okay. And so for the rest of his life, touring with the Fireside Theater, it would be Phil Austin and his four or five dogs and his (laughs) wife. And of course, his wife, Una, was a food cosmetologist. She, she, uh, her job was making food look good for commercials. Okay, oh, I, that job and, well. And she That's was a- the most famous uh, food cosmetologist in Hollywood. You know, and Phil would work with her, and that meant that whenever we were touring, we always had what they call great craft services. She always would fix all kinds of great snacks and things for us Fantastic. backstage. Okay, so <laughs> we we put up with the dogs because we were well fed by his darling wife. So that's the, my major memory of Phil Austin will always be an association with dogs from cattle dogs to chihuahuas. <laughs> that was the range of kind of animals that he, that he had. It was, anyway, woof. <laughs> How would you describe his personality for people like me who don't know him? Austin was uh, private. He was a very private person, and he did a lot of independent writing, uh, very funny writing. Uh, this, was, this was common for all of us. We would all bring our own personal writing to the table, and we, really, we learned to do that because of our radio experience. Uh, we, we like to surprise one another and make one another laugh by bringing in independent material and, and springing it on the other guys unsuspectedly. <laughs> and Austin was a master at doing that. And he actually, he wrote uh, a book called uh, Beaver Teeth, and, uh, all right, which I think we're going to be releasing at the Firesign Theater site, firesigntheater.com, uh, probably sometime this year. And he also wrote another piece called Tales of the Old Detective, which was released as an a, a audio book. Uh, so he, he did a lot of very independent writing uh, on his own. And when he moved out of Hollywood and up to uh, Fox Island near Tacoma in Washington State, uh, he became even more uh, of an independent writer. 
and would spend a lot of time, you know, just just uh, coming up with his own material, which was very beneficial to us when we started touring together again, mm-hmm. because he had created these very funny standalone pieces like the insane painter and uh, um, Dr. Me and school lunches. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and the TV glide, which oh, was, I remember uh, that. again, all this independent material, which we could fold into our, our touring shows. Okay. And we all did that, but he was a master of it and created very funny characters to go along with it. So, an independent, stubborn, irascible, uh, uh, lovable guy. He loved to laugh, and he loved to be made to laugh, and he loved to uh, have company around him. Again, very dog-like, you know. He liked, <laughs> liked to live in a pack, right? And okay, very social in that regard, and yet extremely private in in every other aspect of his life. So. He was a contradictory in a way, you know, contradictory. So I want to, I want to ask you the, the TV glide that I know from dear friends, which is early. He wrote that. Yes. Wow. Yep. He and, wrote that, that stuff independently. Uh huh. Was that improv or cause it, it just flows out so beautifully. No, he wrote yeah. it. He wrote it. We, we all yeah. wrote a lot of stuff on our own and we would then perform it, which gave it, you know, a, an improvisational feel because it was our material, we could do whatever we wanted with it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and sometimes we'd write material for the other members, but we would spring it on them live on the radio. <laughs> okay? No rehearsal. We'd just, like, we'd just pass scripts around and said, okay, you're playing, you know, Captain Befallen, and you're playing, you know, Mary Magoon or whatever. And, and then we'd just do it live on, on the radio. And we had an engineer named Earl Jive, the live Earl Jive, who uh, who's still a friend of mine, and he would improvise sound effects and music. He would drop in sound effects unexpectedly <laughs> when we were doing a skit, and we'd have to respond to it. So it was it was really wonderful, wacky fun. Uh, again, because we were doing it for ourselves, you know, and uh, other people liked it and would come and sit in the studio on the floor, you know. So we had an audience of sorts. And it was it was just really fun. The whole Dear Friends radio series, particularly, was very successful. Was was uh, I had to split it with the sound effects man? Thanks, Rocky. Was that yeah. a tri- was that a shout out to him to the sound effects guy? Uh, yes, it, it was. In many ways, it was because <laughs> he, he he really became an integral part of our of of that particular show, the Dear Dear Friends show. <laughs> My head is exploding that you're sitting there on live radio and someone gives you a piece of paper and says, do this. Yeah, that's right. And you don't know what's coming. <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, there's words for that that I can't use on radio, but that's that's very daring. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was fun. It really was. Life on the edge. You know? <laughs> a, lot, a lot of the best comedy comes out of, uh, of that of that kind of insecurity, you know, I, I would think so, but doing it live on radio, I mean, you have, that's a big audience. That's, that's a, you guys are big risk takers. And I, I applaud you for that. It's funny again, because we, we started on the radio free eye show, which was uh, on listener supported radio and our records were all, were also our, our success was listener supported because when we put our records out, in uh, in this uncensored world, 
know, not to be played. We did not expect them to be played on the air. We were just putting them out there and seeing if people, you know, listened to them. And we found ourselves supported by uh, an audience, a hip audience that we didn't know existed. Uh, I called it a bad head cult, you know, or (laughs) hip pockets in the backside of America. And all of a sudden we found that we were selling a lot of albums. And, And so Columbia Records got behind us and would promote us. And uh, we made, actually, we, we were able to make one of our uh, movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, our movies are available in a, a double DVD set called Everything You Know Is Wrong, the Declassified Firesign Theater. And one of them is Everything You Know Is Wrong, based yeah. on the record that we did, which is a parody which, by the way, is of beautiful. New Age thinking, right? And yeah. the way that we did that, Columbia gave us like $10,000 to make a promotional movie. So what we did was that we lip-synced to yeah. the record, okay? And that's why that. we were able to make it for such a, a small amount of money. And we worked with a cinematographer named Alan Davio, who went on to work with Steven Spielberg on some little projects like E.T. Okay, he's the director of cinematography on E.T. And he was, he was our cameraman for uh, Everything You Know Is Wrong. So anyway, all, all this stuff, again, is about uh, an audience giving an audience what we knew that they, that they wanted. We un- they understood who we were, what we were doing, and they were supporting us. And that was, again, why everything that we did was kind of very honest. And, uh, and we, we, we weren't <clears throat> trying to satisfy anybody but ourselves and the audience that understood us. And that was well, great. A- that was really liberating. That's the thing. I'm not sure that you discovered that audience. I think you created that audience. I think when you put it out there, people said, hey, we haven't heard this before, and it's really good. And, and I, no, I, I think, think that you did that. That's a good point. It's, it's just, yeah, I think you're right. Because they, they weren't there in the sense that they had never heard it before. It was totally brand new. Totally yeah, brand it's new. It's true. It's true. We, we created a long-form comedy format, multi-layered, uh, multiple, demanding multiple listenings. And uh, you know, and investigation, and concentration, uh, and, and which is why a lot of people smoke dope and listen to us. I was going to say some mind bending was involved. Yeah, yeah, and also when we mixed the records, we mixed them for earphones. Right. You know, we would right. move things around, and we actually uh-huh. did a couple of things in surround sound in wow. the early days. They called it quadraphonic sound. I remember. We I mixed remember. a few albums that way. We spent many, many hours in a uh, control room in the mix, you know, yeah, putting mixing it the albums and moving characters around and, and moving sound effects around and, and music and everything. That was really fun. This program is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a non-profit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.hug-podcastnetwork.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. I am with Origami Owl Jewelry, and we personalize lockets. It has helped me heal so much by having that locket. I've had other friends and customers who have created lockets. They love their lockets, and they gift lockets to people who are bereaved, or they're celebrating somebody 
To get your own Origami Owl Locket, contact Nancy Jensen on Facebook or her website, nancydancyme.origamiowl.com. I would like to uh, say a word for the Hanging Athenian Gardens, you know, one of our oldest sponsors Did they hang here. that Athenian yet? Well, he's hanging, of course, as we all know, out in front uh-huh. of uh, this great restaurant. They feature our Armenian food, geek dancing, and uh, those live chickens that you've heard so much about. There's uh, free cheese logs to every woman over 45 who goes in this week oh, only. Oh, wonderful. I'm so glad I'm in town. Well, sweetie, don't forget the cheese log throw every Thursday, and uh, you'll get a free sparring partner if you come unaccompanied. I don't believe in throwing fights. I fight fair. I was five hours old when I had my first surgery. Wow. The only advice I can really give someone like that is to be there for your family. This is life, and you have two choices. You either live it or you sit in a corner and cry. I am Anna Jaworski and the host of Heart to Heart with Anna. Join us on Tuesdays at noon Eastern Time on Spreaker, our blog talk radio. We'll cover topics of importance for the congenital heart defect community. Remember, my friends, you are not alone. It's been a couple of years since Phil passed away. Uh, how has life changed for you with that? Well, luckily, we uh, his widow Una is mm-hmm. still healthy and happy. And uh, still living up in the, their beautiful little cottages on Elliott Bay you know, on Fox Island. So Melinda and I do get to go up and hang out with Una. Phil's presence is very much still felt there. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm when I when we're up there for a, a long weekend or whatever, uh, I really think that he's part of our adventures together. He's still there. His presence mm-hmm. is so strong. And Phil also one of his skills was. Uh, in building sets for us, and uh, and he he did a lot of work on on his his little uh, cottage houses up there on Fox Island, so that his uh, his handiwork is also part of the experience. So mm-hmm. again, it's like you know, people live on in what they leave behind, and so he true. left a lot of great art behind in in his living environment so that there are pieces of Austin everywhere if you you know just when you when you look around you know uh both he and I love to make model houses out of paper mm. uh okay and they they show up our handiwork shows up in the movie Martian Space Party which is part of that two DVD set <laughs> that's available and uh and he did the same thing in his house. There's all kinds of funny little miniature things and little art pieces and everything. So, uh, you know, it's, it, he's there. He's, he, he lives on in the art that he le- left behind. And uh, I think that's a great thing to remember. Tell us how you celebrate Phil and what you think his legacy is. The one observation that Phil Austin made about the Firestone Theater that I thought was the most endearing was that being a member of the Firestone Theater was like being in conversation with friends. And Phil was, for all of his hermetic qualities and his kind of monk-like reputation uh, of being a a loner, he was a very gregarious person and loved to party. He and Una were very social people and had great parties at their home in Nichols Canyon with all kinds of wonderful people. Phil really respected people for who they were and what they accomplished. And he had friends in many diverse worlds 
of, of entertainment. It wasn't just writers and, and producers and directors. Uh, he also had friends who were grips on movies mm. or truck drivers. Uh, they drove honey wagons uh, because his wife, Una, worked on lots of, of movie sets when she mm. did commercials. So they had this incredible variety of interesting people, men and women. And, and he, uh, his gregariousness is something that, uh, that I shared, I learned from. I learned, you know, how interesting people can be uh, outside of your own realm of influence. And, and I must say that, that I have, because of that, uh, spent time with people that I, I might normally not have, have gotten to know. And it's enriched my life. How would you say you celebrate, Phil, today? Does it have to do with going up to the house or just where, where would that yeah, be? Yeah, a lot of it has to do with the continuity of, uh, of the world that he created with his, his wonderful wife, Una, uh, up there on, on Fox Island. And uh, the fact that we, that we still can celebrate that friendship. They have a piece of land up on Fox Island that uh, has two little cottages on it, right on the bay with a, uh, a wonderful dock and a boat uh, and Phil and, and Una used to love to go camping, okay? So they have all of these amazing vehicles that allow them to go off and you know spend a, a month up in the mountains somewhere with their dogs, of course. Of course, of and, course. Okay, and Phil, because I, I did mention that he was very handy, you, you know, he, he was a carpenter and he could build things. He built a terrific dog run, uh, a fenced-in area, that's just above, just across the road, above where their two houses are. And he put in an artificial lake, okay? And they have oh, this wonderful garden in there and a bamboo forest and, okay. uh, and a little kind of an outdoor bar area where we, we recreate ourselves in the, in the afternoons. And he has he created this wonderful little compound, this empire. And because of that, we can celebrate his presence all the time. Again, I can't emphasize how important it is to celebrate the world that people leave behind, the people that you love behind, because it is a continuity. As long as we are breathing and living and holding these people in our memories and in Mm -hmm. our hearts, they are really still alive in, in our lives. And, and I am a great believer in that. And uh, actually, my relationship with Phil, uh, which continues after his passing, has made, that, made me even more aware of it and believe in it even stronger. You believe in, um, in another side of, of this world? Yeah, I think that, there, that we have a continuity. Um, I think it's a great mystery. You know, we, we come in, we go out, you know, and uh, uh, it's all part of the adventure. So uh, I'm ready for the next step in the adventure. Uh, oh, I hope not. Uh, oh, no. But not right now, yeah. no. In I the mean, name of all the comes, fans, wait a while. Wait when a it while. comes, Phil's passing, much like Peter's, was a surprise to us all. Uh, because uh, Melinda and I had gone off on a trip together. And when we came back, we were going to go up and spend time with Phil and Una. For some reason, the, the, uh, the visit kept getting postponed because Phil was going to have some kind of, of hernia, hernia surgery or something. And it was just like, oh, we're putting it off. And this, uh, but oh, So we get back, and 
we hadn't been back for uh, maybe less than a week. We got a phone call early in the morning from Una, and she said, Phil has passed away. We were shocked. We had, yeah. we had not heard anything about it because Phil's illness uh, had been kept a secret from us as well. When he'd gone into the doctor for you know, preoperative uh, tests and everything, they discovered that he had cancer. And so while we were away on our trip, he had been undergoing treatment for cancer, and eventually uh, his uh, heart just gave out. And he died actually in his, in his bed with his Una by his side, surrounded by his beloved dogs. So it was a good passing. Why do you think people keep things like that a secret? I think because they don't want interference in the process that's going mm-hmm. on. Uh, Una was protecting, in her mind, protecting Phil from uh, having us all say, how are you, how are you doing, what can I do to help, you know, uh, uh, can I come up and, you know, and be there. Uh, she, she wanted to keep it private between them, their, their love, their union, their life together, and his death uh, in, in that relationship. What would you say was the most important lesson that you learned from, from Phil? Friendship. Uh, I mentioned when we talked about Peter Bergman that loyalty was, you know, the attribute that I got from, from him. But from, from Austin, uh, it was the value of friendship. And when we worked together, the Firesign Theater, the four men, when we wrote together and worked together and produced together, it was because we were friends together. And when we didn't work together, it was because we were in an unfriendly time of our lives where we we couldn't get along with one Mm -hmm. another for various reasons. And Austin was the one who would come back to us, who who actually demanded that we be friendly with one another because he knew that that was the, the glue that bonded us together and allowed us to write and have these conversations, these creative conversations, and work together because we, we could trust in one another's uh, uh, love for, for each other. Really, honestly, there was a lot of that in, in our relationship together. Uh, and that's why we worked together for almost 50 years, because of friendship. Well, speaking on behalf of the entire planet, that friendship and that loyalty that the four of you developed between each other has been a gift to the rest of us. And for that, I, in the name of the planet, thank you so much for everything that you've given, that you continue to give for your friendship, for your loyalty, for every everybody who's ever met you has said, nice guy. And well, it's that's true. Very nice. It's but been our also, experience here. Thanks for all the laughs. <laughs> You know, that's a, that's a simple price to pay. You know, if you're willing to write all that comedy and do all that hard work in return for laughter, it's a fair deal, and I'm there every second. It's a fair well, deal. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you, dear friends. Thank you so much. And that, dear friends, concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Michael. I want to thank Philip Proctor for sharing his memories about Phil Austin with us. I'll talk with you soon. And until then, remember, our loved ones are still with us as long as we keep their memories alive. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us. We hope you have gained strength from listening to our program. Heart to Heart with Michael can be heard every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next time when we'll share more stories.